1: June football reporting is the single worst influence in fantasy football. OTAs are finished. Beat writers need material. Coaches need to talk their players up. What's the result? He's in the best shape of his life. This guy's going to catch 80 passes. Paris Campbell's going to play running back. We're football fans, so we can't ignore these reports. But making significant adjustments to rankings on June news rarely ever pans out. Hit the music. (laughs)
2: Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the RotoWire NFL podcast. Brought to you, of course, by our sponsor, Circus Sports. I'm Joe Barlow. Jim Coventry, obviously, was ranting about the June OTAs. If there's nothing more annoying than June OTAs, it's the fact that we are less than two weeks away from the Rotowire Vegas retreat. I might already mentally be there at the swim-up pool watching All-Star Weekend. I might mentally already be there, Jim, so you have to help me through this. As we talk about some of our favorite overvalued and undervalued players right now in the current ADP market, and saying favorite overvalued is kind of an oxymoron of sorts, we're going to talk about guys that we think should not be drafted where they are currently going and vice versa. So. In in that instance, Jim, I want you to kick things off because you have a couple of receivers that I think you've correctly identified should be drafted higher than
1: where they're going. Yeah, Joe, it is crazy that Chris Godwin is going outside the top 24 receivers. Now, I know he's missed some time over the last few years, but for the most part, he's been pretty reliable. And the pessimism comes. So last year, we look at his numbers, career lows in yards per target and yards per reception. But remember, he blew out his ACL in December of 2021. So here's a guy, he was clearly a fast return to the lineup. To think he was going to be 100% for full go last year, that's a stretch. Now, another year back, the agility that he's always had through the roof, that should allow him to get open almost instantly. Remember, when he came into the NFL, 89th percentile speed, 74th percentile agility. Now, Baker Mayfield is probably going to be the quarterback. And the thing with Mayfield is, if you as a receiver are where you're supposed to be and you get open quick, he is capable of getting you the football. It's when the plays go off script that Baker Mayfield has problems. So I think that Chris Godwin is an excellent fit for Mayfield. And then you throw in the fact that, Seattle's offensive coordinator, Dave Canales, he is over in Tampa and he loves play action and boot action. And those are things that will help Mayfield. So that leverages Godwin's agility and ability to get open. Now, he should retain that 100 catch pace of the last two years. And if he just maintains that 72nd percentile yards after the catch rate that he had last year, how is he not a top 15 receiver and a big steal on draft day? No, I I completely agree, Jim. Um, and
2: I think there's actually a, a discount happening with both Buccaneers receivers, Mike Evans being the other one. I'm looking at the current ADP right now. We have a compiler of different ADP things on the RotoWire site itself. So I'm looking at 12 team ESPN drafts, and at the most part, those are mock drafts. You could you could certainly pick apart the sample that we're looking at here. But Godwin's being drafted around pick 57, uh, and then in the NFF in the NFFC, you know, we've done now two Jim Coventry beat NFFC drafts. Those were 14-team ones, not 12-team, right? 12. Those are 12. Okay, so they were 12. All right, in 12-team NFFC drafts, like the beat Jim Coventry ones that we've talked about in post-shows or past shows, he's going around pick 59. Mike Evans is about a round later in that 70 overall range as well, too, and I think we're all discounting the Buccaneers' passing attack because Tom Brady's no longer there, and unless you are incredibly, incredibly naive, Tom Brady will not be coming back this season. I think that's, that's the other <laughs> part of this. Most people, like 95% of the people think Brady's actually retired. So it's Baker Mayfield and Kyle Trask as your quarterbacks. I, I, that was my whole case last year, and it proved to be really successful. I will take good receivers in bad situations every time. Drake London, great value for where he was at. Uh, we had Amari Cooper, who I wasn't really even interested in. Great value, same thing. DK Metcalf, too, even when his fourth-round price tag was what it was. He was returning value. And I think you're going to get that with both Chris Goblin and Mike Evans. And to your point, Jim, you mentioned at the beginning, and I think it's worth reiterating. I think that Dallas game in week one, you could clearly see Goblin was not healthy. I mean, like he was, he was still trying to get back to it. And then it was one week seven or eight, one was like, oh yeah, Tom Brady's targeting him 14 times the game. He's he's getting open in that eight to twelve range spot. And that's that's the bread and butter for Baker Mayfield. Say what you want about what he is as a quarterback. And I and pretty low on Baker Mayfield overall, he can hit those routes pretty consistently. So I, I completely agree. I think he is a tremendous value, and especially as a wide receiver two or even a three uh, in PPR formats, how how can you have that one fail other than he were to re-injure himself again? And you know like that's, that happens with everybody, right? If they got injured, they're going to not, not return value. So I, I like that receiver uh, mentioned right away. There's another one that you, you are kind of in on too, a veteran, so to speak, changing different teams.
1: Now, what's interesting, Joe, is when we wrote this article for RotoWire about overvalued and undervalued, Brandon Cooks was going outside the top 100 picks well, right now. And I use FantasyMojo.com as my go-to for ADP. And in the last week, he is being drafted just outside the top 90. So almost a 10-pick move upward. So the market is correcting a bit, but I still think he's undervalued at 90. So we know that he didn't get the 700 yards with the Texans last year. But think about it. Davis Mills is their quarterback, and Cooks was ticked. He did not want to play in that team. He wanted out at the trade deadline. It was a toxic football environment, and the fact he got close to 700 yards, that is actually probably a good mark for him. But now we remember, he's a player that in six of the last eight years, he's got at least 1,037 yards. He's in Dallas. Now, I know Mike McCarthy wants to run the ball, and it certainly isn't exciting that Brian Schottenheimer is the offensive coordinator. But McCarthy has had Dallas running plays at a fast pace, so they should get pass attempts off. But Cooks is the clear number two. All this preseason buzz about Michael Gallup, he hasn't done anything in three years. Brandon Cooks has. Brandon Cooks is an established star who was in a bad situation last year. Now, I know he'll be 30 this year, but again, I don't think he's shown a decline in skills. So in Dallas with Dak Prescott since 2017, when he had Tom Brady, it's the best quarterback Cooks has had. And CeeDee Lamb is the alpha, will draw alpha coverage. Cooks will have a more favorable number two role than he had as the number one with bad quarterback play in Houston. I think he's easily a top 30 receiver. Yeah, for me with Cooks, and I've
2: been saying this now for the past two months, and I'm glad that people are sort of catching on. It's that he was consistently productive in that 1,000 plus yard range with multiple different situations. You mentioned the Patriots, he had the Rams, you know, go, you have the Saints as well, too, when he was really early on his career. And even with the Texans and the bad quarterback play, he was still successful. I mean, like, this is a guy that's proven no matter the situation, he's going to be able to produce at a level in which you are comfortable from a fantasy perspective. Your only concern might be the concussion history that he had, but really to that point, it's been multiple years since we've really been worried about that for Brandon Cooks uh, in his career. So I I am I'm shocked, and I think it's a little bit that we're just undervaluing the veterans. Uh, it's not a sexy name, and we kind of didn't really understand what the addition would mean for the Cowboys, who really did nothing else in the offseason. They got Stefan Gilmore, they brought, got they got Brandon Cooks, and then let go of Ezekiel Elliott and kind of replaced him with some uh, lesser pieces at running back. Like it's it's a change at offensive coordinator that's going to make the biggest difference. But even if Cook is getting less catches and you say C.D. Lamb's going to get involved and Michael Gallup's going to get involved, they did lose Dalton Schultz. That's a target hog as well, too. Brandon Cooks is going to have his opportunities. He's a really good player and has fit in well in multiple situations that he's been in over the course of his career. So I, I, love, the, I love the Brandon Cooks thing. And you mentioned the article that we're referring to. Uh, you can get a free trial to Rotowire by going to rotowire.com pod. It gets you access to the site. We have a lot of draft coverage going up right now. When I say draft, I mean... Fancy football draft coverage. There's a lot of best ball articles out currently. Uh, we have the Beach and Coventry NFC drafts that have been happening already. You're going to have uh, the Hall of Fame draft coming up here. Boy, it, in three or four weeks, Jim, is that is that right? Four weeks from now, yes. Yeah, and, and at that point, it's all steam ahead here with every expert doing every expert draft and all the content for it. We have software projections if you do want to buy more of the premium part of things to get you prepared. But it is fantasy football season for us now. We're going to turn to the month of July That's it. No more baseball when it comes to fantasy sports. Overall, it feels like, especially at RotoWire, we're all into fantasy football. So we're working off an article, but there's a lot of different content on the site. You talked about a past Texan, and I want to talk about a current Texan. We actually have Damian Pierce listed as undervalued in the article I mentioned. I think he's overvalued right now, Jim. And I think it's like one of the worst overvalues that we have currently out there. Uh, we talked about Cam Akers, Cam Akers last week, who I also don't like, but currently Damian Pearson ESPN 12 team leagues is going around pick 46. Uh, in the NFC, way lower, actually pick 63. So let's, it, it's more like the fifth round kind of spot. Last year, obviously, almost a thousand yards, missed the last month of the season. Of course, he could have played in week 18 uh, if he didn't have that high ankle sprain when the Texans were so bad and they didn't want to do good. So yeah, let's trot out Royce Freeman and, and the ilk uh, instead of Damian Pierce, who we want to kind of save fine. But before that injury, he had 55 carries, 167 yards, and just one touchdown in the last four games. It was at that point defenses knew to sell out against the run. And and Davis Mills, I think, is a worse quarterback than CJ Stroud. And certainly, like Stroud, by the end of his career, should be significantly better. But I don't think the difference in the quarterback play is that significant in year one of Stroud. We heard all the draft conversation about how he's not great at making reads. I and mean, we have the same thing about Justin Fields, which proved to be true no matter how athletic he was in year one. There was, I mean, he was taking sacks at an alarming rate. I'm I'm concerned that the passing attack will be as equally inefficient as it was last year when defenses figure out the Texans. And oh, by the way, they lost talent at wide receiver. We just talked about Brandon Cooks. Robert Woods is not going to make that passing attack significantly better. Maybe John Mechie uh, in really his rookie season could emerge as a quality target. Uh, And and I like Nico Collins, but we're we're waiting on Nico Collins to actually do something at this point in his career. And I think that's a tough sell. So the passing attack's not going to get better. I think Damon Pierce is going to have to run. Let's even talk about the passing part. So let's just say Pierce is is not going to have the running ability available to him or the grounds for that. I don't think he's much of a pass catcher either. I mean, the Texans used Dare Gumbawale as their premium pass catcher last season. They have Mike Boone on the roster who can do some things as well too in that regard? Even though he hasn't uh, totally proven it throughout his career, I know everyone wants to extrapolate the numbers with Damien Pierce. Like if he played the full season, he would have got 1,200 rushing yards and 280-ish carries. But that was with Rex Burkett as the primary backup, and now you have Devin Singletary. And you say what you want about Devin Singletary, and what do you think is talented? He's way better than Rex Burkett, and they're not. And Singletary's not signing with the Texans unless he thinks he's getting involved. So those 19.2 touches per game that Pierce was averaging, I bet she goes down closer to 15. And guess what, Jim? It's not going to be in the receiving angle. I think Pierce is going to be sort of like the Kareem Hunt, only a little bit higher version, uh, and less of a receiver for an offense that I think will be, once again, one of the worst in the NFL. There's no way I'm paying a fourth-round price tag for him. So
1: it all the points make sense. I think the ESPN... ADP. If you're, if people are drafting in those casual ESPN leagues, you're right. And like 40 pick 46, it's overvalued. But the NFFC where you're saying pick 63, if you're gonna tell me you're gonna get what was likely, who was likely a lead running back at pick 63, it's a different ball. It's a big difference to 17 picks. Um, That said, I hear what you're saying about Damian Pierce. Now the Texans tried to address their offensive line. There's, we know they're strong at tackle. That was never the problem, Laramie Tunsil and Titus Howard. But now, remember, last year, they spent a high pick on Kenyon Green. He had the typical rookie problems. It's possible he's bad, but if he is anywhere near the talent they think they drafted, they're going to have a massive upgrade. And then Shaq Mason comes in at the other guard from the Patriots, and I had him like rated as a B-level um, blocker across the board. So now, if – Kenyon Green makes a jump at all. And again, Mason coming over. All of a sudden, this becomes at least an average run blocking line as opposed to a train wreck, which it was, um, other than the tackles. The interior was garbage last year. And so that would help Pierce. Now, when Pierce had some of those bad games down the stretch, Miami, and and, and I know that if you look at fantasy numbers allowed, you see one number, Miami was a brick wall against the run you weren't running i mean most teams could not run against them so yes damian pierce went five carries for eight yards against them washington was an excellent run defense and yeah same deal 10 carries eight yards but we have to remember he may have hit a rookie wall he was not ready for the type of workload and the punishment you take at the nfl level because The yardage from week two on rushing, 69, 80, 131, 99, 92, 35 against the Titans. Nobody runs on the Titans either, right? And 139 against the Eagles. And then after those bad games against Washington, Miami, he still came up with 73 yards against Cleveland, bad run defense, but in 78 against the Cowboys. So realistically, he was getting volume. He was productive other than when facing brick wall defense against the run. Their line should be improved. I would imagine their offense is predicated on some RPO concepts, which if should that happen, that should help him a bit too. Do I think he's a world beater, Damian Pierce? No. But Devin Singletary, Buffalo was desperate for somebody to run the ball for them. And with Josh Allen forcing defenses to play nickel and dime against them, Devin Singletary never was able to do what they needed. So they were glad to get rid of him. I think he's just a career backup. So I would imagine Pierce goes in as the unquestioned lead guy. So the question becomes, is volume, and we saw production last year, is that combination as an RB2 something you're willing to gamble on? You don't think so, Joe, and that makes sense. Um, I just think volume is king in fantasy football, and there are only so many running backs who are getting that. And if it's pick sixty-three, and I need a running back, yes, as you said earlier. For pick forty-six, no way. Yeah, and I don't even think again that, that he gets the volume. So just
2: just for context, guys being drafted around Pierce's range. And again, it value it, it varies based off the sites. J.K. Dobbins, DeAndre Swift, more or less going in that range, possibly a little bit later. I like both those guys unequivocally. There is significant upside in DeAndre Swift specifically. You could also have him lose four or five games, and then that kind of gets erased, much like James Conner, who's lower on this list. And I would also take over Damian Pierce. Dobbins is a different case where um I, I think the market is just entirely wrong. And this guy, and if he stays healthy, is gonna blow past his current ADP, which is right around the same spot. Miles Sanders, we've talked about on past podcasts too. That's a guy that's guaranteed volume. Like I again. Maybe we just differ on what Devin Singletary is. I don't think Devin Singletary is all that good, but I do think he was brought in specifically to take workload away from Damian Pierce. He's not going to be a guy that gets three down work. I don't even think he gets a lot of between-the-tackle carries. The Texans don't want to overexpose Pierce like they did last year. I mean, that, that's, that seems to be the biggest concern, and and I don't blame them. I mean, if you want him to be effective like he was at the beginning of the year, having more guys uh, taking those opportunities like Singletary, even if he is... A career backup, like you mentioned, that's fine enough. I mean, we've seen other teams do that same thing. at Last year, Ezekiel at that point in his career it is not that good of a running back, but the Cowboys were still giving him um, important carries, not because they thought he'd be breaking off things, but because it helped spell Tony Pollard, and I think that's the best case scenario for Pierce. So, again, 19.2 touches last year. I think we're talking more like the 15-17 range, unless you believe Pierce is going to be more of a receiver, which I just don't. I, I think the the moves they made this offseason would indicate that they don't have confidence in to be a pass-catching running back. So let's talk about another running back that was on the article, and I think you and I are in unison here. That's Josh Jacobs, who currently is going around pick 17 on ESPN Leagues, pretty similarly in the NFFC, about pick 22, so back into the second round. Um, what's your thoughts on,
1: on Josh Jacobs and his current value? You know, with Josh Jacobs, and this is the first thing I tell fantasy managers almost every year. Be very careful when you're paying for a career year. Now that was Josh Jacobs' fourth year in the league. Now, rookie season he was fine, but in the prior two years, he was under four yards per carry, just under, but under four yards per carry. And then last year he was bordering five. He's like at 4.9. And then you want to say not just the great, you know, uptick in production but he handles 393 touches and goes over 2,000 scrimmage yards. So now he had that motivation, and that's what I wondered last year. When they declined his fifth-year option, in his mind, I'm a free agent. And he seems to have trained and played like a player who was going to try to cash in big, and that seems to be exactly what he did. And the Raiders had no issue – loading him up with touches, viewing him as an expendable piece, run him into the ground, but it ended up being a massive fantasy year. So now the problem was the season was so good, the Raiders had to franchise tag him because they weren't they didn't see that year coming. So now here's Jacob's business situation, and this is why I think he's overvalued. He's already proved he could put up 2,000 yards, combined yards, proved it. So now it's a lame duck year for him. They're not going to franchise him twice. So maybe he doesn't want to carry the ball as much. Maybe he's on the injury report because, oh, my hamstring hurts. And it really doesn't. (laughs) He may not have motivation to play. Zamir White, for what it's worth. And again, I talked at the beginning of the show about June news, and it may just be smoke but the team wants to get Zamir away a little more work, it would make sense. They got to see what they have at least. But if they're going to give Zamir away a little more work, or if Jacobs is not going to be a good employee, it's too many variables for me. And having seen him play for business last year, it would be his best business interest not to go out and command 393 touches again. So there's there's two points
2: with, um, with this. I, I, as a Packer fan, am well aware of the fifth-year, fourth-year player breakout. And I think specifically back to Nick Perry, a pass past rusher drafted in the Ted Thompson era who was miserable in his first uh, three seasons. The Packers declined his fifth-year option. Goes nuclear to Nick Perry's level, uh, and I say that almost in quotes, with I think like 10 and a half sacks, something like that. And, you know, even at that point, which was five or six years ago, seven or eight years ago, probably more like pass rushing was a premium. That That was what you were going to be paying big bucks for Um, the Packers ended up uh, uh, re-signing or extending Nick Perry to like a $12 or $13 million year across four or five years. And that was in lieu of Micah Hyde, who at the time was a a burgeoning corner um, safety kind of specialist dude. Making plays was a good safety, not a great safety. And Casey Hayward, who they got a little bit later on in the draft. Look at both those guys. And I know Casey Hayward has um, been a bit lesser over the past two or three years, bouncing around between different teams still is in the NFL, still a starting cornerback. Micah Hyde, one of the best safeties in the league before uh, he broke his, league, broke his leg last year. I think you have Nick Perry, who I have not heard of, or I don't think it's been even on a COVID practice squad You know, three or four years ago, who flamed out almost immediately after. There there are uh, some certainties in life, death, taxes, and I think players outperforming their contract in year four uh, when they got declined or something like that level. And I think that's... The classic case of what we're seeing with Josh Jacobs now. And to your point about the June news being fluff and the Zamir White conversation, this feels like the most obvious politicking that's occurred uh, since 2020. And I you referenced certain things, but I will choose not to when I mention that. We have reports about Zamir White looking good and they want to get him more involved. <laughs> Gee, I wonder why the Raiders are doing that when Josh Jacobs and his camp are saying they are content to hold out till week one and even later until they get a longer deal. I mean, like why do you think Jim, that story was being leaked about Samir White?
1: <laughs> Maybe he's good. Uh, Maybe. And you know,
2: I am a disciple of both Mario Puig and John McKechnie. John McKechnie is a massive Georgia Bulldogs fan. And uh, I think one of the best at correctly identifying the talent of the player, he is not saying Stetson Bennett is going to be a stud in the NFL and nor Did he think James Cook or Zamir White were going to be fantastic? So if the best Georgia Bulldog fan that I know and John says Zamir White's okay, he's not great, then I'm gonna be calling BS and the Raiders pushing the Zamir White train in mid-June. Like I there is clear incentive for them to be talking up. And if that is a reason why Josh Jacobs falls two or three rounds, like in that Damian Pierce range, fine, because I do think he is going to get the touches because Zamir White's not that good and has proven, like you said, that he can do it over a consistent stretch. But this feels a lot like Le'Veon Bell, uh, right by that end of the Steelers' tenure, where if things get really gross and really nasty, like making Derek Carr's wife cry nasty, we, we, we just had that last year, then I, I think J- Josh Jacobs could be one of the biggest pitfalls in fantasy this season. Great call on that. Josh Jacobs has to be in a void. I, I want to another running back that did make it on that article referring to on runaway But Before we do first... Let's get a word from our sponsors, Circus Sports. The ultimate fantasy football draft can only take place in Las Vegas. Circus Resort and Casino wants to bring you and your whole league to Vegas with the ultimate fantasy football experience giveaway. Bring your 12-person league for a two-night stay at Circus Resort and have your draft at the Cabana uh, Stadium swim, plus limo transportation to and from the airport, a welcome party at the Legacy Club, and a booth of the world's largest sports book and more. It's a prize package valued at over $8,000, and it's there for you right now is Circa Sports. There's no better place to draft than Circa. You must be 21 years and up to enter. Go to circalasvegas.com for more information. Circa, C-I-R-C-A, lasvegas.com. Again, for more information, I can't wait. We are less than two weeks away from making our uh, Vegas pilgrimage. We're going to be doing some business meetings. It's it's no longer just vacation gym. We're going to be hearing lots and lots of different conversations about RotoWire and uh, gambling.com, our overall parent company, uh, and a lot of the information going on there. But you can bet the second I am let loose uh, from all those tedious emails and, well, I guess meetings, but emails possibly too, I will be at that stadium swim, which I still think is one of the best places in all of Las Vegas to watch sports. Of course, we'll be going during MLB All-Star Weekend. Uh, we watched the Home Run Derby. I, I famously made a bet with Alex Beruther, Beruther our NBA guy, that uh, Albert Pujols was going to make it past the first round of the Home Run Derby. Um, that was, if you could recall at that point, a a significant odd uh like long shot and that worked out perfectly for me i got to have drinks for the rest of the night thanks to alex so we'll see if we can't swing that again and of course jim you had a lot of fun there too
1: i uh, love the Circa sports book the stadium swim both the place to be definitely want to take advantage of the promotion if you can get the draft out there you will have the time of your life so get after it yeah and you mentioned the staff too which i i continually be amazed with
2: um I think the owner of a Circa circus sports personally knows us guys at RotoWire has used us frequently. So it's been a cool relationship. Jeff Erickson and, and Nick will have done the series XM show on site. I would imagine that will happen once more. Um, so it's, it's a great relationship, but I, I really believe it to be one of the best places. If you are a sports fan and looking to enjoy sports while also enjoying the stuff that Vegas can provide in addition. So check it out again, circa sports. Uh, well, circle for that uh, $8,000 prize package. If you are interested. So, Let's talk about the running backs again. Um, we mentioned Josh Jacobs. I, I think Damian Pierce is overvalued. We both believe Josh Jacobs is overvalued. You, I think you wrote this on the article, Jim, believe Travis Etienne is also overvalued. His ADP sits at 28 on ESPN. Again, pretty similar on NFFC in 12-team formats, around 33. And both those, I think the ESPN one, but certainly NFFC, is one point per passing uh, or one point per catch. And I think that's really important context to kind of provide if you are of the belief that, ETN is overvalued. So I'll let you kind of take it away.
1: You know, it's more than the actual ADP, it's that he's going off the board as running back 14. And from a talent perspective, he should be there. He should be way higher than that. It's the Jaguars organization that has me confounded. When ETN was getting a heavy workload in the first half of the season for a few games, he was phenomenal but they backed off him and it didn't make any sense. I mean, his yards per carry 5.1 receiving nine yards per reception, which is phenomenal. He is the real deal. The only knock you could have on him was 32nd percentile yards after contact, rate. But who cares? He is up there putting up yardage, but the problem becomes, first of all, he never had more than three catches in a game. This is a guy who should be getting, three catches at least in every game, five or six in a good number of them, but they choose not to use him in that capacity. And then after he had that great stretch of rushing attempts over the course of the season and also some of this is in the late season, he had eight games with 10 or fewer carries. It's just not getting it done. It's not enough work for the running back 14. And then organizations tell us what they feel about players by their actions. They bring in Dearness Johnson in free agency. Now, maybe he's not much, but he's a bigger bodied running back. Tells me they want some carries taken away. And then they draft Tank Bigsby. And a lot of people hate Tank Bigsby, but he didn't have an offensive line in Auburn. The dude can run. He He's going to be a lot better than people think. And he is he and or Dearness Johnson, they were brought in to relieve ETN of work. To me, they've made an organizational decision. They are limiting his workload. That's the only knock I have on him. He's a phenomenal player. And then Calvin Ridley's in the fold at receiver. Trevor Lawrence showed last year he's on that path to being a franchise-changing quarterback. So now, do they turn the keys to the offense and make it a very pass-heavy unit? If they do that, there may even be less to go around. So that's situation is my only knock on ETN. It's not him. We we could do this um, as a fantasy draft, but I'm curious, Jim,
2: among the NFL offenses, where would you rank the Jaguars next season? Like, let's, let's like thereabouts, like a seven through 10, 10 through 15. Like, do you think there'd be a little bit higher, but like, where do you feel like they kind of fall in the NFL landscape?
1: I still think it's around number 10. We have some very diverse, full functioning offenses. There are still offensive line issues. We still don't know, despite June camp talk, what Calvin is going to be like after missing almost two seasons. We don't know. And we don't know what he's like without Julio Jones. In the five games he played without him, he wasn't that great. Um, so we still don't know what that's like with him being the guy. So there are going to be questions, and we have to extrapolate a lot out to raise Jacksonville above number 10. If Ridley is a superstar and Trevor Lawrence makes that next half step forward, Top six six or seven offense because we still can't move them. We got the Chiefs, we've got the Bills, we've got the Bengals, you know, we've got the 49ers. So they're still, and I'm probably missing one or two off the top of my head. I mean, even Miami could be a devastating oh, offense. Yeah. So there's a number of really, really good offenses. And the secondary weapons for the Jaguars may not be to the level of those other teams, but they do have a good ceiling.
2: Yeah, and you said Dolphins, that's a good one. Cowboys, I was thinking as well, too, with their um, receiver group and the running backs and the offensive line. And I actually think the Chargers provide everyone's healthy, which never happens with the Chargers, but on paper, the Chargers would be the choice. Like when you're going through the list, it feels about right to say 10. I don't think it's a slight uh, to Jacksonville fans uh, or anybody like that. And, you know, we saw a gigantic Urban Meyer sized leap from Trevor Lawrence in year one to year two. If a similar type leap were to occur in year three, we're talking about Lawrence pretty solidified as a top five, top seven quarterback in the NFL, which would then mean I think that Calvary is being successful at the offense being successful. They, they committed to the offensive line a little bit this off am I'm, I'm mentioning all this and I want the Jaguars offensive overall conversation because I actually want ETN to have less touches. And this might be just a philosophical thing, but neither you nor I listed Tony Pollard as an overvalued target in the article nor in this podcast prep now. And I think it's because we can understand Tony Pollard's a really good player in an offense that's really good. No, the Jaguars don't have a a offensive line as good at run blocking as the Cowboys do. And no, I don't think ETN, especially post broken foot from two years ago, is as explosive as Tony Pollard but they are pretty darn good players I, I I don't think that's really up for debate I and, and, and Pollard's going to get less work that's why I was doing it so I, I actually want etn to get less work and whereas you mentioned the organization has made uh changes or or, or choices to reinforce your thoughts of etn not getting workload I agree actually like Dearnest Johnson he might not be great but I think he's serviceable he could he can get the he can get some carries he can do well I don't believe in Tank Bixby, but I think he's better than Snoop Connor, who by midpoint of last season was the team's primary backup once they traded away James Robinson, which in hindsight looked like a smart deal, given that Etienne almost immediately exploded afterwards and they could see what they had in him. This is not a regime that's per se committed to Travis Etienne. uh, Right, Urban Meyer was fired directly after taking Etienne in the first round, but I still think that they are committed to making him be a significant asset to the offense. If ETN getting 15 to 18 touches per game, and I think he will as a receiver, we're talking about a guy that we saw at the beginning or sort of the middle stage of the season, really post James Robinson trade, where he was getting hundred plus yards, getting close to that range, but at less efficiency because Tank Bigsby and Darius Johnson are going to take those grimy carries are, are going to be having those between the tackle ones that while they might not be productive and fans might get angry because they're not passing the ball for seven yards every time, whatever else. They are effective for an offense and a scheme and a plan, and I I think there's going to be a lot of that um, with the head coach here at the Jaguars, whose name is escaping right now. But like, I, they clearly have – yes, thank you, Doug Peterson. How could I forget Packers legend, Doug Peterson? Like, I, I, I think that's – he was clearly a very good offensive schemer, and I think we saw that in that second half comeback against the Chargers. There was a clear and deliberate plan of attack, and I think they go on each and every week doing that. So I believe the Jaguars' offense is – close to top 10, and I want ETN to have less touches. And I think that's going to make a big difference. The other part that I want to mention, there was probably three games, and you watch every game throughout the NFL season, you probably remember this too, where there was very obvious touchdown passage or 20-yard receptions that Lawrence either just completely flubbed. I, I think I can think of three specifically, just wide-open missed touchdowns, long passes, um, and those don't get added to the stats because they shouldn't, But that's a kind of easy thing that most NFL teams make, and you kind of, regression to the mean. The other part is the AFC South obviously plays the division of the Colts, the Titans, and the Texans. Texans and Colts might be one of the two of the five worst teams in the NFL. I don't believe the Titans are much better either. And then the NFC South, and you could make an argument, maybe the NFC North is the second worst division behind the AFC South. But the NFC South is close. So you're talking 10 games against subpar competition, One of the best offenses, at least uh, top third in the NFL. I love ETN um, for that price and that Ramondre Stevenson and Tony Pollard are going ahead of ETN, maybe it's a philosophical question. Like, I just don't want to take a running back in the second round. Fine. And I know that's kind of where you're at too with how you rank your receivers, but that's kind of my thought with ETN is I'll take ETN over both Stevenson and Pollard because I think there's an upside play where he next year is a top eight or nine overall selection.
1: Yeah, the last thing I'll say is I just really wish Jacksonville would unleash Etienne as a receiver because as good as he is as a runner, he is a devastating receiving weapon. And I just thought it was borderline irresponsible to not use him in that way. So again, I hope that changes. I, I do too. And I actually, again, the Dearness Johnson and Tank Big Z selection
2: indicates to me that they're going to, and, and maybe I'm putting too much credit into Doug Peterson. Uh, it's not like the Jaguars, other than one lone year, have been a competent, well-run organization. So that's we're maybe assuming too much, but I really believe Peterson is going to get the most utility off ETN, which, especially in a full-point PPR format like the NFFC, makes him totally reasonable for me as a, a late second round, early third round selection. I want to bring up one more uh, undervalued name, and you can scoff at this one if you like. Not everyone's super uh, excited about 12th round wide receivers, but I mentioned in my article and we haven't really talked about uh at other podcasts, so I think it's important now to m- mention Romeo Dobbs right now is going about pick 170, 169 on ESPN leagues and then about 149 on NFFC. again, divide up by 12. That's that's somewhere around the 12th round that you're taking Romeo Dobbs. I understand he's not going to be amazing. Like when you're thinking I want a 12th round player, you would throw the dice on a running back that could back up like Alexander Masson and uh, if Madison were injured, uh, immediately explodes and, and is a, a running back 20 or something like expect. But if you're fine, just getting a guaranteed layup on value, I think Dobbs is the right call. There are some guaranteed things that are going to go Dobbs's way. I believe the Packers are going to do a lot of 12 personnel. So two tight ends, one running back, two receivers. It's going to be bad. That's a very stupid choice. Matt LaFleur has proven time and again that his 12 personnel system is not very good. And, and maybe you could say, oh, it's because Robert Tunyon is Robert Tunyon and uh, Josiah Deguara is not Kyle Huszczyk. It, it's just a bad choice, but they're going to do that a lot. Right. I think that's the commitment that they made to Tucker Kraft um, and the other Titan. They took it in the second round as well, too. Um, Dobbs will be on the field on that situation. In fact, if they were to go just one receiver, I think Dobbs plays over Watson to limit the exposure injury wise for Watson. Like maybe you say, Hey, Watson, run fast, run deep, okay. But there are times in the intermediate field where Dobbs is going to be on the field over uh, Watson in those one to two receiver sets. I also think Dobbs has a value from a blocking perspective, not like Equinomis-St. Brown, um, not even like Alan Lazard, obviously, who signed a big deal with the Jets, probably to do that same thing for New York. But he is a good run blocker, and I, I think we've seen that in his early part of his career. So he's going to lead a lot of snaps. Uh, Jim, I'll be shocked if Dobbs does not have the most snaps, if everyone's healthy by Packers receivers this year in the first, uh, five, five of the first eight games, he had at least four receptions. Now that was with Randall Cobb out and Watson was out with every litany of injury possible at that point too. So he kind of was the only guy along with Alan Lazard. Then he has the ankle sprain out for four games. By the time he comes back, everyone's back and healthy Aaron Rodgers right now, or I'm sorry, this point last year was praising Romeo Dobbs. Well, I guess not this point because he wasn't at training camp, Aaron But it was uh, beginning of August that he was praising the signs of uh, Romeo Dobbs. I really believe that Dobbs is going to be a factor for them offensively. He's going to get plenty of playing time. And just, I mean, like, do you know who was wide receiver 30 or thereabouts last year in fantasy ESPN scoring, Jim? Is it Dobbs? No,
1: no, no. He he only played... Yeah, 12 games.
2: It it was Jacoby Myers and Adam Thielen were in that range. And I don't know if you rostered either of them. I rostered Jacoby Myers. I was fine. Wasn't excited about each and every week. That was about 67 catches and 800 yards and six touchdowns. Dobbs last year, despite missing um, four or five games, had 42 receptions and 4,400-ish yards. If Dobbs is healthy, he absolutely is going over that. So he will be producing at a wide receiver 30 value, guaranteed, if he stays healthy. I don't think there's a greater value right now. Yes, it's not going to be sexy. He's not going to blow up to be a wide receiver 15. But he is going to be a guaranteed wide receiver 3 or flex if you're in deeper leagues uh, at the 12th and the 12th round price. I love that.
1: Last year, I had a good number of shares of Romeo Dobbs from the draft. I drafted him early. I, I, I did feel that he was a player that was going to do well. And he did show like you mentioned it. He showed flashes of being an impact NFL player and we're looking very late pick and drafts. The thing that's scaring me a little bit is this offense is one of the low-volume passing offenses. They may have had 542 pass attempts last year, which was the most Aaron Rodgers had in a few years, but his first 17 games, he had two 16-game seasons before that. So it was actually lower pass volume. And then they run at a very, very slow rate. They just slow the clock down. And I'm wondering with Jordan Love, are you throwing more with Jordan Love than you did with Aaron Rodgers, or are you going to lean on the run game more and let Jordan Love learn on the go? So I, I'm very worried about that. The defense could be good. They have pieces on that defense that they can't stop the run. No, Jim, I'm going to stop here. They
2: won't be. Joe Barry's your defensive coordinator. They're going to suck again this year. I'm, I'm, I can stop you right there. They're going to be bad. So
1: ultimately, if they, they're forced to throw the ball, that would help Dobbs. And I do question Christian Watson's route running. We know he can get open deep, but the league knows that now. He had... He had a market correction after those four big games where he put up astronomical numbers. He was decent. He's about 50 yards a game down the stretch, but that was about it. League figured him out, put somebody over the top. And I I guess the question is, we don't know what Jordan Love is. And so we have a receiver. We don't know if he's going to make a second-year jump. We don't know if Aaron Rodgers got the most out of him. We don't know if Jordan Love's going to be any good. Maybe he is. Reasonable to take a shot on Dobbs. I, I cannot argue it because at that point in the draft, he is, a, he is a guy who has potential upside, and he could be the target leader easily. So I'm not going to argue with this pick at all. I do want fantasy managers to understand that the Packers' offense has a number of red flags or just uncertain flags that we just have to be aware of.
2: Yeah, this is a really easy thing, Jim. So if you believe the Packers are going to struggle offensively, which is a completely fair take, by the way. I uh, am a devout Packer fan, and I'm nervous is probably the nice way of saying it, entering the season, very nervous. If you believe they're going to struggle, just take every win under you possibly can and certainly take every point total under you possibly can every week of the season. Because if they are going slow-paced and they're running the ball and their defense sucks, they're going to be able uh, to be in the Caleb Williams sweepstakes next year because they're going to be one of the worst franchises in the NFL. And that might be entirely what happens. Again, I, I am by no means pretending that Jordan Love... Is going to be the third straight hall of fame quarterback for the Packers. That it, it's just unrealistic to assume. However, I think Jordan Love is going to be like this is just just off the very little we've watched of him in professional games and of the very little I feel like I can trust from Brian Gutenst and the rest of the coaching staff, who has seen him on the practice field now for three years straight, right? That Aaron Rodgers, really since uh the COVID 2021 season, has not been practicing. Uh, And Jordan Love was your starting quarterback during practice. He's had opportunities to work with Christian Watson and Romeo Dobbs. We've had these uh, aforementioned June reports indicate Jordan Love loves Romeo Dobbs. That's actually his favorite target right now, which maybe makes me even more nervous about this take that, you know, what we believe about these June updates of sorts. I, I just think there's such a low bar of success rate that even if the Packers are a run oriented offense, which they will be, there's enough passing volume in the year 2023 of NFL play that Romeo Dobbs is going to get 800 receiving yards and four or five touchdowns, which is the Adam Thielen Jacoby Meyer range of wide receiver 30. I mean, and, and he's getting drafted as wide receiver 60 right now. It's not a sexy upside play, but it is an incredibly obvious upside play. And in fact, Jim, by the end of August drafts, if he's not closer to like round 10, I would be a little surprised because there's going to be more helium on Jordan Love and the Packers passing attack and, and thereabouts. It, it's just going to make things a bit more exciting. Overall. And I think Christian Watson goes up higher. Alan Soslowski has been all over that one on all podcasts that Christian Watson should be drafted. I think Romeo Dobbs uh should get a little bit higher too. I was thinking of Tucker craft and Luke Musgrave. Why could I not get that other tight end Whatever. Um, before we hit the end of the show, Jim, I real quick, you've done now two beat Jim Coventry NFC uh drafts thus far. I'm sure there'll be more on the way as we continue. We've done different strategy podcasts before, and I don't want to bore listeners on that too much. Through two high-stakes leagues, is there one or two big takeaways that you've had
1: from these drafts thus far? Well, the one thing for certain is in the more competitive drafts, maybe not the neighborhood drafts, the quarterbacks are going to continue to fly off the board. You are going to have your top eight quarterbacks in most leagues off the board by the end of round six. That's a big divergence from past years. This is like the first year I, I can recall that happening. Maybe the early days of fantasy football happened a little bit more, but now that's a thing. The other thing is many years we will have in the super early drafts, May, April, we'll see receivers go early, and then when August hits, it'll go back to running back heavy. I don't think that's happening this year. With high stakes drafts going on, a lot of skin in the game. I only say that. Because these are important drafts, right? And even at this point, it's still wide receiver heavy. We are seeing up to eight receivers going in the first round. And running backs are, as a byproduct, they're obviously falling. So as a fantasy manager, you need to hit your wagon of either you're going to go with the flow with the receivers and get them early while some are still on the board or you're going to go in the opposite direction and take those running back values, hoping you can find wide receiver value later. But I really think that from a general philosophy, fantasy managers need to take a stance, but we always say this, in every draft you're in, be pliable. We always say, have your individual positional rankings in front of you, because if your draft goes different than the norm, You need to be consciously aware of that and decide to attack appropriately if it didn't go with your general overall plan. We've discussed this on many
2: occasions now. I'm going to get one of those top seven quarterbacks. I don't mind paying the premium. I don't want to deal with the Dak Prescott, Kirk Cousins range, if I can at all help it. I think there is a significant advantage, much like Travis Kelsey over every other tight end. We've made that case now for the past two or three years. Those top seven quarterbacks, I think are going to have such a significant advantage over the other next eight drafted that while they might be fine and you might be getting quarterback 10 in the 10th round you're sacrificing four or five points every single week that i just don't want to do so i will be paying the premium for it in just about every draft it is worth pointing out though that the drafts you've done thus far are six points per passing touchdown which could price up the quarterbacks a little bit more i still think there's going to be a premium advantage to having some of those upper echelon guys and i'm happy to pay that price so that does it for us on the wednesday edition of the roadwire nfl podcast brought to you by circus sports we'll be back in around the same time next week thanks everyone for listening